We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast, and after taking a few weeks off, Jack, I have been in search of anything Timberwolves related to talk about, uh, as they're not playing basketball right now. But I think, in actually watching this bubble for uh, a few weeks, we're recording this on August 10th. So what does that put us like? One more, one week until the playoffs. Yeah. So start. the teams are now, I think, starting to hit their sixth. There are fifth and sixth games of the bubble where they've got they've got two or three left depending on where where they're at in their schedules. We have a fairly irrelevant Bucks Raptors game going on in, on the screen here in the corner with no Giannis, no Abaka, Lowry. It's I think that part has kind of sucked that some of the games just you don't know if they're how relevant they're going to be. Yeah, like oh like this game Raptors Bucks would be great, and then you're like oh. This yeah, and, and too, game. I just don't understand some of the strategy behind it too. Where you know Utah today pulls all their or pulls some of their starters. They yeah. didn't play Mitchell, but they pull you know Ingles and Gobert, and they pull Mike Conley. They pull all those guys at half when they're up by you know fifteen over the Mavericks, and they just let the Mavs come crawling back and win the game. And they're only you know a game or two ahead of you know the see but then you gotta like do long division because i feel like the mavs are locked into the seven is that not right yeah or the or they were the the jazz are in in danger of giving up the four spot to or the five spot Uh, to oklahoma city i think oklahoma city's running up behind them but maybe they they saw the score of the of the other game that was going on with them and started to play it that way but but that's definitely been something that that's part of it i think i think the nba kind of expected that to kind of come with the territory a little bit where you know teams would know that that the chips would kind of fall as they may with only eight games left um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's been kind of fun for some of the more in the weeds. And oh no, it's definitely like, like, it's predominantly been guys. an awesome yeah, thing. Yeah. Like it's, it's, I'm 
I don't know why I'm highlighting the negative because this has like been the best yeah. oh. escape from From twelve thirty to ten thirty at night having basketball all day long has just been yeah. a thrill ride. It's been awesome. Um but yeah, so basically along those lines, you know, I'm trying to think of ways that you know, we're watching all these games and I think you and I both have been been watching a lot of these teams for the whole year and you know, with the Wolves with the Wolves season obviously over I think the connection that you can loosely make to these teams, or I just found myself like doing it, watching them is watching an Orlando magic game and being like, Oh yeah. Okay. So like this guy's a free agent, maybe they'll be looking to trade this guy, you know? And then you kind I kind of, maybe I'm just like addicted to Timberwolves brain, <laughs> but like I, I started thinking about which players could potentially be on the wolves next year. And, and so I guess t- to you, I was I threw this idea out there. I was like, "Is this well? One, is this happening to you, or, or, or am I just going crazy?" And you agreed to my homework <laughs> assignment of each of us choosing five five players that we think could emphasis on could be on the Timberwolves next year. So how did how did you pursue so, that? All right. So just to to get out there, my initial list had sixteen players on it. <laughs> I had different buckets from the hipster bucket to the realistic bucket to the, you know, kind of pipe dream bucket and started looking at, all right, how can I kind of get a diverse kind of collection of guys from these different buckets that can, that we can kind of touch on different points with, but that I also love watching play basketball and think would be a lot of fun if they were in Minnesota. And so I, I kind of, I haven't been really watching the games with all right, I want to see what this guy's going to do, you know, playing against this team and this coverage or, mm-hmm. or this, or this or that. I'm just kind of watching the game um, just objectively as if, as anybody listening to this probably would and just saying like, oh, that kind of caught my eye or this guy, I kind of like the way that they just did this for this guy and without kind of watching with a specific lens. Cause I think it's easy to, you know, watch a basketball game with a specific lens. I want to watch how Duncan Robinson runs off screens or I want to watch how sure. Rudy Gobert defends the pick and roll or something like that. But um, so, so I kind of went into it with that and just kind of thoughts in my head of guys that I've, that have stood out to me that I've enjoyed watching over the, the past couple weeks of this, of this bubble environment and ended up cutting it down kind of based on, you know, guys who I thought probably had a better chance of ending up in Minnesota versus guys that didn't just mm-hmm. because I don't know, I think it's probably a better use of our time to, to talk about, you know, the more realistic guys versus, um, you know, some guy that, that has a very minuscule chance and doesn't want to leave where he is or, or something right. like that. Well, and I like, think it's interesting. There's not going to be any, well, I, I have one decently big name on my list, yeah. but like, but it makes sense. I, yeah. yeah. I, so it's, I don't know. I, I think for both, well, actually our lists are both mixes of players that could be acquired via free agency or trade or trade. Yep. And just, it's inherently more likely that a free agent it's, going to change teams for sure so that's beyond the wolves but i do think given that the wolves don't have cap space that if they are going to make a move to improve the roster drastically which i don't think is going to happen I, well, at least at least in the nature that it happened last yeah, year well that's true but like i mean i don't know i wouldn't i i just wouldn't i wouldn't rule out that the wolves do get creative and we can go into specifics on this but I mean, you do have like a human trade exception in James Johnson, who's set to make $16 million. Like, yes, that's not, you know, the, you're going to have to attach assets to it, but you can, I mean, it's not inconceivable to, oh, no. to I, put together a trade that way. I think that might almost be more conceivable than trying to get a guy on a 
ten million dollar contract just yeah. for the for the sole reason that the t- I mean if you look at the Timberwolves cap sheet it's you know you have guys in the the twelve thirteen or it's fourteen range with with guys mm-hmm. like James Johnson and then you know you kind of get slim pickings until you get Jarrett Culver right down at the, that six, six million that yeah. six number and so kind of in between that is tough and it, and it's tough to swing for you know a guy that's kind of in between James Johnson and Jared Culver without attaching guys that you probably don't want to give up just to make or that seem work. unlikely to give right. up exactly yeah. yeah or just where the trade itself doesn't really make sense for both parties mm-hmm. um, I think that's so. something I really prioritize I just think I always try and do that particularly with Wolves related stuff right. it's like and um, if if anybody is thinking we're going to talk about Devin Booker today we're not um because you and I have literally already talked about Devin Booker <laughs> being on the Timberwolves for an hour that you can go back and listen to that. That's a couple episodes ago um, in the podcast feed. But, um, you know, it is, I don't know. There are ways to to at least financially stack stuff up to get to players of all different ranges. I mean, I think we'll have, we'll talk about trade options for players that cost $2 million. We'll, talk about (laughs) players who are on max contracts and and it's not impossible that the wolves could do either of those things provided the other team is looking to trade that player yeah is open to it and and listening to offers because i mean there's a lot of times that happens in the nba where you know i may not be looking to trade a player but you come to me and say Mm -hmm. hey i'm gonna offer you this this and this and i say you know what i gotta think about this from an asset standpoint feelings detached from it and I think that happens every summer. Yeah, I, I do. So, I mean, and it's so, and it's a great, and I think it's a great thing to to talk about that type of stuff because, you know, the lottery. I think there's 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 so many different aspects of it that could get interesting with with Golden State and with Boston having a bunch of picks and Oklahoma City having a bunch of picks. I I, I think that type of stuff. There's there's so much that we don't know that can still happen between sure. now and you know in the end of October. Um, which, which, which I mean, is exactly the reason why we're doing this. You want to keep all the different things on the table and, and think about different ways things can work out and, and kind of be prepared to <laughs> to think on the fly and adjust. Yeah, quickly. it'll it'll show the mechanics of how to how yeah, they would get there exactly. via free agency or trade. And there are possibilities. They have the mid level exception to to go sign, a, you know, a bench role player, and and they have the contracts or they have. I mean, we'll talk about this too. Like Malik Beasley, you could sign and trade him. Like you can put him into, you know, a deal. And that would, again, provided that team is interested. It, I, I think just sometimes when we say some of these names and it'll happen and I'm sure some people listening will be like, okay, well, that's no way in hell. Like, <laughs> and, and yeah, they're probably right. Like odds are picking a specific player out of the 400 <laughs> in the league. We're probably going right. to be wrong. Yeah. But but really, what I when I when I'm what's going through and making my list is I think a lot of my players um, that I picked represent like a group, a type of player where yeah. it's where it's a guy who has multiple years left on his deal, but his team might be looking to go in a different direction. Right, and and, and so you then you talk about then you have the numerous players who are in that spot. So it I, for me it was a good I thought thought exercise to be like. I, I don't know. My my main takeaway is that this is possible that that things could happen. One hundred percent. Yeah, I, I tried to do the same thing with with having different guys, um, kind of in, in that spot as well, and kind of set up for for potentially different contract numbers as as well. Right. Um. So so I'm I'm ready to get into it. Yeah. If you are, who was so. you go you go first. You can do all right. So your so first my player. first guy playing right now in front of us, um, <laughs> is Norman Powell. He's a shooting guard from the Raptors. 
27-year-old, uh, um, and, and just a, a couple of quick snippets here. He's 6'3", 215 pounds, has a 6'11 wingspan. Um, he's averaging, I thought a Kogi body. <laughs> yeah, that's a really long wingspan, but but built like a brick house too. Um, and, and so the things that really stood out to me about Norman Powell that I would love with him in Minnesota, um, specifically the first thing that steps out to me is that, yes, he's obviously a great three-point shooter that – is, is really great at shooting in a, in a variety of different spots, whether it be, you know, on the fast break and catch and shoot, coming off screens, um, but that he's a really good cutter and that I, I really appreciate the way that, that Nick Nurse tries to get the most out of not just guys like Ibaka and Lowry and Gasol and Siakam, but that also really tries to unlock all of the skills that their ancillary talents have, sure. like like a guy like Powell. And, and his cutting stood out to me right away when I when I – you know, turn on different highlights, but also when I, you know, when you sit down and you watch a Raptors game, they run him off of curl screens um, or kind mm-hmm. of offside pin downs, and he curls around it because he knows that defenders are are looking They're playing him to play playing the shot, playing yeah. the shot first, which I think makes sense. But uh, but he's in the 90th percentile on cuts, and he shots pretty much 77 percent uh, on shots that he had coming off of cuts. Um, and, and around the basket, That's pretty good. Yeah, around <laughs> the basket, um, six, he shot 64 percent from within five feet. And seventy percent of those attempt or of those field goal makes were assisted, uh, which I really like and think that when you're when you're playing with a guy like D'Angelo Russell, um, just the way that he's able to find cutters coming off screens and hit them perfectly in stride, I think is awesome. And we're gonna see Cat too. You know, he he got stuck in the low post and get doubled and tripled. And you know, we were probably. I mean, you're probably in the arena screaming, just like God, somebody help this guy. And I'm <laughs> sitting here screaming at my TV, just saying, you know how is nobody going to help him and, and no one on the, on the perimeter can shoot. So well, I think to your point that too, is that it's like the, the, the option out of that so many times this year was, all right, cats getting doubled space further away. And what that so often looked like was, you know, it's Trevion Graham is wide open on a skip pass or Jared Culver's wide open. And, on and a defenders skip pass. are just going to pack it in and, yeah. and protect the paint because they're going to say, all right, that's fine. We'll rather have Trevion Graham shoot a three than, than cat shoot out of a double team in the post. Exactly. And so I think that the issue there is, it's like, it's not even Trevion Graham's fault. Like he isn't even necessarily supposed to cut in that situation because if he is cutting, he's running into numerous defenders who have packed it into the paint there. Exactly. Right? And he's, but, and but he's that's the difference good. with Powell is, is now if I'm Donovan Mitchell and I'm guarding Norman Powell on, you know, the opposite wing, I can't, I'm not going to be packing it in as much because I, because if I don't want to give up that cat can make that skip pass. Right. And, and so, so then if he's further out there, now Powell can not only be the catch-or-shoot option, but he can also be, you know, cutting to the basket. Yeah, too. And I, th- and I think it'll open up a variety of opportunities, not just for a guy like Powell to, to make set shots or cut to the basket, for, for, but for a guy like Malik Beasley or Jake Lehman to get into the lane and, and cut to the bas- sure. basket, too. Um, and, and, two, the option to have a short-roll guy in the corner. I mean, we've had Jared Culver and Josh Kogi as, mm-hmm. you know, short-roll guys in the corner where defenders aren't really going to respect that and they're going to dig on dig in on Cat really hard when he's rolling to the rim. And with a guy like Powell, you can't do that. And not only does having a guy like Powell just help the offense as a whole because 
you know, his three point shooting is so great, but, but it also will really help, you know, a guy like Cat just have less attention on him sure. and allow him to just go to work in a one-on-one -on -one situation. Um, but like you, like you said, from the jump to, he's got a six eleven wingspan. He's got a Kogi body, um, and, and plays really, really well off ball and, and, and is really smart with his hands and, and his timing on the defensive end and, and blows up screens, um, especially in the pick and roll and, and with different guys flying off pin downs or flares, um, or step up screens and stuff like that. So, um, I, I just think that he would be a really solid, fun addition that, would would fit in pretty seamlessly with what the wolves are trying to do right i definitely can't deny that i guess i mean and you you did send me your list before this and you know immediately the first thing particularly for a player that's under contract we're talking about a trade here yep and i do think the trouble with norman powell as uh, i don't remember if you said or not but he has uh he's set to make 10.9 million next year and then 11.6 the year after that so it, yes you have to trade for him yep and then what what are you trading? I think it's a weird, it's kind of a weird number yep. he's at given what we've talked about before where you have James Johnson at this 16, um, you have Culver at like six. How, I guess, how did, how did you start thinking about the ways that the Wolves not only could put together the money to get there, but to, I mean, Toronto is cool at keeping Norma Powell at 11 million a year. Oh, for like, sure. So what, how, how, how do you entice Toronto, I think so that's the big question. what I thought about is you think about the Raptors potentially losing Fred Van Vliet, Marcus All, and Serge Ibaka this year. Yep, there's all free agents. All, all of them are free agents, and all of them could very feasibly fetch rather large contracts from other teams that the Raptors just simply aren't willing to pay to, you know, a guy that's entering his prime but is redundant kind of with Kyle Lowry in a sense that if you know if you're losing Gasol and Ibaka, you probably want to spend some of your money to, to kind of shore up your your front court there. Um, but I thought, you know, I think Toronto might, might have to retool after this year, depending on if they lose those guys. And, and again, this is more of a situational deal where, you know, if they keep Ibaka and Fred Van Vliet, I'm sure that they're going to hold on to Norm Powell because they're going to want to try and, you know, gun for, you know, the right. top spot in the East again next year. Um, but in, in, in the event that maybe they lose a Fred Van Vliet and they lose an Ibaka and they have to retool, uh, I, th I thought that, you know, Toronto could be really enticed by a guy like Jarrett Culver. Um, I'm lower on Culver in, in a long-term sense, just because I've never seen somebody who has that brutal of a shot, not named Kawhi Leonard, drastically improve their shot to a point where they're a long-term competent shooter. Um, and Culver really struggled around the rim last year, driving to the basket yeah, 50%, too. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I don't know. I just think that if you can sell higher than you could two or three years down the line with Culver now to a team that has such a strong, you know, development system, um, that could really turn him into something special and then attach a guy like Jacob Evans, who's another, you know, guard shooter. Uh, I think that that could be something that Toronto thinks about. Maybe you throw no him picks. I mean, maybe you throw him a second round pick in, in 2022 in the double draft or 2023. But, um, you know, I think that, I mean, again, this is, this is more dependent on Toronto losing some of their main pieces and kind of being forced into a retooling more of a rebuild, here. Yeah. Um, but, but it's just like that type of player. I, I, that's a guy that I would be willing to give up Jarrett Culver for one year removed. Yeah. I just don't think Toronto would do that. Yeah. I, I mean, that's fair. That's totally and, fair. And, I mean, and, Jared Culver is going to come up a lot in this conversation. Um, not only because I think you and I kind of skew lower on him, but just he, he isn't 
the type of asset that you would move, even if you and I were high, even if I were higher on Jared Culver, if you're making a move and you're the Wolves, he's, he has three years left on his rookie scale contract. He was a lottery pick, you know, a year ago. There is, you know, reason if you scouted him, you know, and put a lottery pick grade, top five pick grade on him a year ago, which maybe Toronto did, maybe some other team did, that you would still be interested in, in him and believe that there's a different way to use Jarrett Culver. And I, I've talked about this before too, where I just, I don't think Jarrett Culver's best self is recognized in a four out, five out, a, a system a system that's so committed to being spot up perimeter oriented. And that, and that is like somewhat obvious. He's not a great catch and shoot shooter and probably never will be. But I also do think um, that Culver, and I've gone back and just over like the quarantine time, like watched some of his Texas Tech film and he really is like, or was at Texas Tech, the the type of player who created from the mid-range a lot. And it's not that that's not allowed in Minnesota. Right. It's just probably that they're only having one, maybe two guys working in that area. And if you're thinking about a starting lineup or rotation that has D'Angelo Russell is going to be there a lot. Beasley's going to be working at all three levels. I just think Jerk Culver's spot in a Timberwolves like ecosystem is as a floor spacer cutter, not really with a lot of ability or a lot of like bandwidth to, to be able to just kind of create on the move. And I'm not even saying just shooting from the mid range. I'm saying even just getting in there and working and and distributing. So if, if that is all true, it could make sense that he is a more attractive asset in a different ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Toronto, I mean, Toronto for the reasons I mean, Toronto has been as good at development of players like Jerk Culver, as anyway, and, the, their, the best. and their offense is just so diverse. They never rely on just one thing. They can play five out with, you know, with yeah. two bigs in the lineup with Gasol and Ibaka. Um, but but the other thing too is like they have no problem with with parking both of those guys in the low post and you know yeah. operating different horn sets or operating you know high low or or whatever you want to do. Um, and, and and I just and I think that putting Jared Culver in a place like Toronto is I mean obviously Toronto's you know an A plus franchise, but but in that type of, like you're saying, an offensive ecosystem, I think that you'd be able to get so much more out of him there mm-hmm. and see a more confident Jarrett Culver, um, and especially, too, in the way that they play defense, too. Right. Um, it's just well, aggressive, it's, and it allows I, him to – and it allow, I, I, think it would, I think it would be a huge confidence boost for a guy like, for a guy like Culver just because I think we can all see it when he's, when he's out on the court or when, or when he was out on the court this past year. He just didn't look comfortable. Yeah. And I think it's hard to find a rhythm when – you're tasked with spotting up and shooting threes, but then if that's not working, you know, kind of slashing the basket or, you know, creating for others off the dribble when, when you're not really great at drawing fouls, you're not great at finishing around the rim and you're a horrid free throw shooter. I think it's just, it can be really tough to find a rhythm if you're not in a system that'll, that kind of plays to your strengths. Well, and, and we're going to talk about Toronto later, spoiler, but I, I do think that Toronto has been done a good job of, not giving guys like more than they can handle. Right. I really like right. the way they've kind of like slowly like moved the sliders on OG and Obi over the years into more and you know more and more, but really starting at a very basic place. And like Pascal Siakam started for them his rookie year, but it was in such a different capacity. Yeah. I mean, kind of like OG. Them. Like yeah, yeah. So it, I, I, one way or the other, like trade or not trade. Like I think that's what Jarrett Culver needs is like, you know, if I'm coaching him, it's like, 
like give him like two things. You know, we're doing this and we're doing that. And once and you it, get those two things, then yeah, we'll yeah, because yeah. I don't know. I guess that kind of goes against the whole like his role is limited, but he really just needs to find a rhythm, and he's in the, either needs to do that in the Wolves ecosystem or go to a new one where it's easier to check that box one and yeah. box two sort of sort of thing. So, right. um, in an effort to keep moving on, we'll get back to Toronto. But my first guy um, was Mason Plumley. Um, from Denver and I think I actually am will say that I think he is the most likely out of any player out of our 10 guys to be on the Timberwolves next year and and that's for a couple reasons that's he is the unrestricted free agent right like so that inherently makes you more valuable I think the price tag is going to be reasonable the Wolves have um, the, the mid-level exception he I'm assuming he'll get far less than that $9 million. You could probably even throw him five and somebody else four if you want to break that up. Or the, you're talking about biannual too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, I think there's I think there's for sure ways to get Plumley on, you know, within the financial spend free agent spending that you have. And then I think maybe this would be something that people would disagree with a little bit more, but I do think he he plays a position of need for this, 100%. For this team. And I think we... I, I probably contributed to this, but... I think we fell a little bit too far into this whole like the wolves will never play two bigs. So we're never like, what's the point in having multiple bigs on yeah. the roster? And yes, like true for the most part. Right. And cat was playing from what we've saw, but also it has to do with the guys you have on the roster too. Exactly. And, and so the thing I go back to is, is that, and I know that this was just something that the wolves coaching staff you know, tested out was Jordan Bell was the test of can we play two bigs next to Cat? They want to have that be something in the arsenal. It is not like sacrilegious to play another big next to Cat. They will right. do that. That is going to happen this year. And, and it needs to happen. Yeah. And it, I, 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 that's probably part of the reason why it's especially I mean especially if you want to get to the playoffs all I mean that the main thing that I'm that I think about with the Timberwolves as it relates to how they start to build the personnel because you've always talked about 2021 right mm -hmm. and so my thing is yeah I mean 2021 is kind of when the lights really come on and you need to perform but at the same time when you're building up to 2021 you need to bring guys in that can try out different things and you can really find what works what fits in our ecosystem and what doesn't and I just thought that they haven't really given a great effort at trying the whole two bigs thing. And I think that staying, staying on topic here with Denver, what I really liked about Denver, and I spoke about this, or and I wrote about this in, in the latest article that I wrote, was that... I don't know if I even said this at the beginning, which is bad hosting, but <laughs> you write for SB Nation, CanisHoopis.com. You've obviously been yes. on the pod before, but... Yeah, you're doing yeah. a great job. Yeah, summer. and so um, what I wrote about was I really appreciated the fact that, you know, after Denver lost Game 82 at Target Center, mm -hmm. and they looked at they looked at their defensive performance, they're something like 27th in the NBA in defense. Mm -hmm. And Mike Malone, right by the Wolves. <laughs> yeah, Mike Malone went to Nikola Jokic and said, "Okay, drop coverage isn't working. This defense that we're playing is not working." And he worked with Jokic to kind of come up with how they wanted to play defense based on what their anchor felt most comfortable doing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause you right here because I, I actually 
I went to Denver this year for that game and not only talked to some of the media people there, but some of the people uh, in Denver in their, like, whatever, organization. And it wasn't just that, like, Malone called the spade a spade. But he went to Jokic and he said, what do you want to do right. defensively? What, how can we pursue this better in a way that you think can who, improve Who us? does that? Who does that? Who, who has done that? Who, what head coach has gone to, to a player and said, what do you want to do? Help well, me help you. Like I, in a way and that's, that's, so, that's such a drastic change from your main pick and roll coverage, the most mm-hmm. common action in basketball. How are we going to defend that centered around one player? And I think, and Jokic said he wants to play up at the level, and which is happen? not something a coach would normally do when you look at this like fat dude who's slow to be like, okay, you're going to have to get out there and we're not going to drop you back because dropping back isn't working. And I think they nailed that because Jokic makes up for his lack of speed with taking good angles and having really good hands. He plays like he plays Incredible the like timing. he plays the uh, the pocket pass really well. In, yeah, in in those situations, and I think what you're getting to is like it made all the difference. So they like, went, what co- they're now good. They went from they went from twenty. So they went from twenty um, fifth in points per possession allowed to, to PNR initiators or ball handlers in 2017-18, all the way up to second last season. That's crazy. And I mean, the thing about the, like the Wolves, this is the problem with the Wolves, right? Like the, those numbers, whatever, slided a year. Well. Whatever, choose any year you want. The Wolves are down there Terrible. in the bottom five yeah. in it, and it is it is the difference. If the Wolves made a jump to being a top five in pick and roll defense in the league, we're you're not just talking about like a playoff team. You're talking about like something close to the Nuggets, which are like hosting a home playoff series. Like if the Wolves were to make that big of a defensive jump, and as you said, the most common defensive action, you're talking about like a seismic shift. Exactly, and and I think too the the thing that I look at is. I'm sitting here watching Timberwolves games saying it cannot get worse than this. It cannot get worse than D'Angelo Russell coming around a screen from Marquise Chris Mm -hmm. and making 11 mid-range shots in a row, starting a five-alarm fire at Target Center when – I mean, that just can't happen, and it can't get worse than that. And I think that the Timberwolves have to try and play two bigs and try and at least try and start blitzing a little bit with Cat, and, well, and let him do, or let him do something else or play the four or something. And I think Plumley is a really great guy to do that with because he has experience. I mean, when he's out on the floor, they still blitz, and he can and he can still recover, and he does a great job of, of trailing ball handlers. They, don't, they let him just stay switched. Like they yeah. don't, they're not concerned about it. Like it, it his and he, and he plays without fouling when he does that too. It's, he he's. I'm not going to say he's some sort of elite, like, big man switcher. Like, you, you know, we no, think no, of, no. like, the Capella in that sort of right, way where it's right. like, oh, cool, like, whatever, Capella switched on him, that doesn't hurt us. That's not true with Palmer. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt when you make that switch. But he can do it. Like, right. And, and that, that is a big – that's a big jump, and that's a big asset that he's brought to that Denver defense in, in being able, you know, being able to, to serve that role. 50 – 55% of his defensive possessions are him switching onto a guard. That, that's, that, that, that is your coach saying, I have no problem. If you're in the action, obviously that's Plumlee. This is the one who's calling the action, and he's calling the switch as soon as he sees a screen coming. And now that's a, com- a completely different scheme than we see right. with the Wolves. Mm-hmm. But 
that's what they had. That's what they let Jordan Bell do. That's why they had no problem with that next to Cat in, in that situation. So would it be would it be big with Plumley and Cat playing together? Yes, but they would they would still be able to play with the pace that they want to play with. They would still be able to run the type of high screen action that they want to run. The reason we never saw that outside of Jordan Bell, the like 125 minutes he played next to Cat, was because. The coaching staff didn't believe Gorgie could do, could do that fast enough. Could not play with the pace. Not that he not that he was a bad defender or a shooter or anything. He could space the floor. He could defend the rim. He couldn't play with the pace they wanted to play with. That's the difference. Plumlee can do that. Same with Noah Vonley. Like Vonley served. I thought he did a good James job Johnson as a rim too. defender. Yeah, like that. That's the thing. They they need they need a big who can play with pace and be impactful in the pick and roll on both sides of the ball. And I'm not saying Mason Plumlee is some sort of great shakes, whatever. He's a back. He's a backup big. He's extremely solid. He's yeah, and and, and that's I, what you need. You need guys that can be solid. Can I mean, I'm, we're not sitting here looking for guys that can set the world on fire. I mean, you might have one guy that could set the world on fire if you played for the Wolves, but I think that. That's that's you got the mid level exception. Right. You're not going to be able to like in free agency go get like have your cake and eat it too. Like, right. It, you're going to have yeah, everyone wants you. You're talking about Serge Ibaka. Like he's a free agent. Yes, Serge Ibaka is way better than Mason Plumley. Would it be better if if Serge Ibaka was on the Timberwolves and Mason Plumley? Hell yeah. But that is a completely different question. <laughs> where, where you're talking about right Plumley, you can go get with the limited cap flexibility that you do have, and he can he can be he can be a discount. Serge Ibaka and the discount is that he can't shoot it but I mean that I would I would be surprised if there is not a player like Mason Plumlee so like Nerlens Noel is a free agent to think about it, I, mean, I think JaVale McGee will be back in LA but like yeah. that type of guy maybe people have seen more like JaVale that that sort of mobile big defensively and a rim roller offensively it, it's that that type of role is not is a need on, on the Timberwolves. I agree. And I think too, I've, I've kind of been saying it too in different, you know, pods I've done or different, different things that I've written about is that, you know, the Timberwolves need a bridge between cat and, and Nas Reed. I think I like, I don't think that yeah, Nas, Nas can't Reed, be the backup. Center he cannot be the backup center. And I think that he can be the third. He will be the third. Yeah. And I, and I think too, that I, I think that should Nas get some run this year. I absolutely think that Nas should get some run this year. Um, but Again, I think it should be in that third big capacity rather than you know splitting the minutes evenly and strictly staying in this one big, this one big setup. And I and I think that the type of guy like Plumlee is awesome. And and so I used a program that that I wrote with a little a little bit of uh, inspiration from from a guy named Wizzy on Twitter who's a, who's a good uh, NBA draft Twitter follow, um, and kind of looked at similarities, used some math, and and came up with similarity scores for. Use um, some math. <laughs> different, different players um, that are that have been free agents over the last five years, and so we're going to do this for each of the each of the free Tigers, agents yeah. that we have here. And so the five guys that Plumlee was most similar to was Joe Kim Noah in 2019, Tyler Zeller in 2019, Allen Williams in 2019, Jonathan Williams in 2019, and Lavoy Al- 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 Allen in 2015. Hot list. That's a hot <laughs> list, and so. I mean, the average contract that you get out of those guys is, you know, a year and a half for $2.4 million total. So an average annual value of of $1,370,000. It's a minimum contract. It's a minimum contract just based on the the sheer raw Mm -hmm. standard statistical output that he had. And so do I think that Mason Plumlee will get more than that? I absolutely do. 
but, yeah, but how much more? I, it's like I don't think he's going to get six, seven million dollars, but I think he's probably going to be in that three to four million dollar a year range where you could probably throw the biennial exception at him, or if you split up the MLE and, and throw that at you know some of it at Plumlee, some of it at somebody else. But I mean, I think the, the grand point here is that he could really move the needle for the Timberwolves in a way that not many people I think would just expect looking at him, mm-hmm. but um, could do so on a bargain. And I think when you've got two guys that are on max contracts, that's, and, you, and you're potentially searching to find a third guy in a max contract to bring into the fold guys like Mason Plumley that can, that can really solidly contribute and be dependable guys on a very cheap contract are things that you get really got to look hard at. And, and the last thing I I just add is he does, um, and, for I think four of my five guys, I look for some sort of connection to either the front office or the coaching staff. And with Plumlee, he played in Portland with Vanderpool. And we know that, obviously, defense is going to be uh, an area of focus for this team this year, or should be. And having having comfort with with Vanderpool, knowing, you know, knowing that that system, obviously we saw Jake Lehman was, was, was from there. Uh, Noah Vonley played in Portland with Vanderpool. Like, I think – somebody knowing how Vanderpool works and what his general like scheme goals are would, would make him a, uh, you know, a, a likely candidate as well. For sure. And, and sticking on that theme of ex Vanderpool bigs, Let's go. Um, my second guy is Myers Leonard of the Miami heat. He's a 28 year old center. He's seven foot, 260 pounds, seven, three wingspan total bro. Total bro, but like in a good way, kind yeah. of. He's a fun guy. I don't know if I don't know if there's anybody out there that's big into watching people play video games. I'm not, but apparently he he's pretty big on on Twitch and and some of his tweets are just pretty funny. Like he does, he just I don't know. He he and his wife are, are a good time on Twitter. Um, so that's good reason to sign him. Um, he's just a good dude too. Um, I think all of his all of his teammates love him in Miami. Um, and and I think that bringing in a guy who, um. Again, playing playing for an organization that has incredible culture, both in Portland and then now in Miami, um, you really need adults in the room. And I right. think that you know when people talk about Aaron Gordon coming to the Timberwolves, who I don't, said that? I don't. Well, or <laughs> I'm just kidding. Like, I, I definitely said that. <laughs> but um, you know, I just pause. I don't even think about basketball. Yeah. Having no, Aaron Gordon, Carl Anthony Towns, and DeAndre Russell being your three guys. Sounds like a music video. A nightmare. <laughs> Sounds like a terrible diss track against one of the greatest shooting guards ever. Yeah, right. um, but but yeah. So my thing with Myers Leonard is, if you want to play a two big system and have a guy who's really versatile defensively, um, Myers Leonard is your guy. He's a guy who defends the rim really well, in my opinion, as a rotating kind of team defender on the backside. So he gives up. You know his opponents shoot fifty percent when he's the primary defender around the rim. So Embiid, who's seen as you know an amazing defensive center, is at forty-eight. And I know that that metric kind of can be flawed at times, but I think it just kind of gives a, a decent glimpse of of what happens when when he's around the rim too. Uh, but he's got a huge wingspan and moves really well laterally for for a guy his size. So if if he does switch out onto a ball handler, I think that he can you know, kind of deter a guy from getting to the rim or, or turn a guy um, back into the middle of the floor um, and, and was in the 95th percentile in, in isolations. A small, a small sample size there. 
um, less than 15% of his, you know, overall total defensive possessions. But I still think that that's, that's not nothing. That's not nothing. And that, you know, you see a big white guy switch out on you and a guy's going to be like, clear out, clear out. I'm, I'm taking this just guy. like Plumley. <laughs> yeah. And he can, and he can stop, yeah. but again, great athlete, really solid rebounder runs the floor very, very well in transition. Something you'll see if you turn on the tape with, with, uh, with Myers Leonard is that he does a really good job getting out in front of the break on long rebounds and sealing off smaller defenders for sure. easy, easy buckets at the rim, which I think is great. If you have a guy that's sealing down in the paint, you can flank shooters around him. I think that's awesome. Um, again, really solid in the pick and roll three point shooter. He shot 39% on 113 attempts um, and, and catch and shoot. And that wasn't a one, that's not one year thing either. He's no, he's, he's been a, he's been a guy that, that is really consistent when it comes to um, he's career 39% shooter from three and 81% from the line. So not something no, he that, can shoot it. not something that's just kind of a pipe dream. Um, my, my biggest weaknesses with, with Leonard um, just that he, again, doesn't really create much off the dribble, but again, probably don't really have to, um, and that not. he doesn't, he doesn't post up at all, mm. but again, he's in f- another, those point. are two things he would not be asked to do. In right. Exactly. <laughs> um, but he's not a great passer, uh, mm. which I think could be tough, especially in, in short roll situations. If, if you're playing with cat and you've got cat in a corner with, you know, Beasley and, and D'Angelo Russell out there, but, um, he's a great cutter. Um, 98th percentile around the basket in non-post-up scenarios um, and shoots 80% within five feet of the basket. So those are things that I think would be sweet. If you had Cat posting up and you had Myers Leonard on the mm-hmm. wing just flying, careening towards the basket. And, and two, and the other, one other thing I want to point out is, is when, you know, wings drive baseline and he's stationed, you know, on the opposite wing, he does a great job of making himself available and, and crashing to the basket to to kind of help prevent turnovers or dumb passes and make himself available for buckets. And that's something that we saw Josh, we saw Jarrett, we saw Jeff Teague. We saw all these guys turn the ball over a ton doing that. Um, And, you know, with you, when you have added shooters around them, that's going to be open a lot more. I, I think the one thing I would to push back on a little bit is the defensive versatility element of it. I, I, I think you're getting, and it, I mean, I think you're getting less than you are with Plumley. In I agree. In in that way, where like let's not let's not kid ourselves that he's just going to be a guy who we'll be like, oh, we feel totally fine. I mean, we don't feel totally fine with Plumley, and I think he's worse than Plumley at that. Um, but you are getting, I think with with Leonard, you're getting a more physical presence, correct, on on the interior, and and like a, an issue that still remains, like for Cat is is foul trouble. And we, I mean, we started going back, you know, two years ago, it was like, they, they're playing Denver. They put Taj Gibson on Jokic rather than cat. And that's not even because cat's not a bad post defender as far as just like slowing somebody down, but you can't afford to have him be picking up two first quarter fouls against Nikola Jokic. And then have Nas Reed come into the game behind. Exactly. So, so again, and we're going to get away from the talking about bigs and then needing, you know, needing bigs, but there is somewhat of a need for a big on, on the Timberwolves. Yeah. It's going to be particular if we're talking the Plumlee price range, the Leonard price range. You're going to be getting a guy who has flaws. He's going he's gonna to get cooked sometimes. Oh, yeah. But, but I do think, and I, I know we were talking before this, just kind of about, about watching Portland in the bubble. And obviously, like, Dame is so fun to watch in the pick and roll. And I think a lot of the times we think about him, you know, 
creating space for step back three or, or something to create for himself. But what I've really loved with the return of Nurkic and Collins is, is watching those guys work off of the short roll and, yeah. and you know, Dame dropping it off to Nurk, Nurk taking one dribble and hitting Collins coming from the dunker. The spot. big, big passing. And oh, I mean, I, incredible. I, I probably like that more than it's even valuable, but like, I mean, when was the last time you saw that happen in Minnesota? Uh, Never. I yeah, mean, I, I mean, maybe when you had like Kevin Love and Al Jefferson, but <laughs> like, I mean, how yeah. far back do you have to right, go? Right, right. It's just, it would be specifically for Cat because all of this is, you know, you got to look at it through the lens of would this, how much would this help Cat? I mean, that's just kind of for every player, yeah. every coach, every anything is, is that. And it would just be interesting to see somebody who not only took off the burden from Cat in, in, in certain ways, whether it's offensively or defensively, but another another big body to be able to pass, pass it to for a finish. Mm-hmm. And and just somebody, like, it's, think about, like, Cat dropping it off to a Kogi, and a Kogi's, like, on the block, and he does his little double head fake, pump fake thing. Somebody, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, exactly lands on him, and he about. does, like, a flip-in layup shot, and you're like, one in every seven times, that's like an and one, good. But, like, if that's, if that's Myers Leonard, that's a catch and dunk. You know, right? Or 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 Norland's Noel or whatever. Like yeah, exactly. A, a real, you know, athletic seven footer. And the one thing that I think too is is interesting is again kind of going back to that Toronto thing where, you know, I mentioned that Ibaka and Gasol, you can still play five out when you have those two bigs on the floor. It allows you to be multiple offensively, you know, while also being able to to guard against two bigs defensively. And I just think that things you notice about these different playoff teams. Uh, particularly in the top half of both conferences is ever, I mean, with the exception of the Rockets, every team has big body guys on the bench that you can bring off the bench and throw at somebody to irritate them, to be physical, to take the burden off of your, yeah, your it's primary a bench big. It's, it's a bench roll. I don't care. I mean, yeah, the league's it's, getting smaller, but that is still a, something that is used. Like, and yeah, again, absolutely. if it's a bench guy, it's not, it's not a huge commitment. I'm not saying like the Wolves need to go get a starting power or move cat to the four and start no a, a, a center next to him. I, I think that's a, a step too far. They're going to stay, they're going to stay as versatile and as fast as they can with, with, a, I mean, it's people think that I want the wolves to have Aaron Gordon. I don't, I'm saying it's that type of player. I think that yeah. is like the archetype right. of what Rosa's and Saunders want as the four next to cat. I, is, I agree. Is that type yeah. of player we're talking about eight, 10 minutes a game. That's exactly what I was about to say. It's it's not a whole game. It's, you know, and I think more to, and maybe, maybe I'm getting too ambitious with just immediately thinking about the playoffs because my thing is if you're going to build a house, got to do the foundation, right? You can't just like mess up the foundation and have a sweet looking house at the top. Um, In the sense that you've got to, you don't necessarily have to play two bigs all the time or have to play blitz coverage or have to, no, just do this or that. It's just let's like try it. Yeah, let's it's try just it. you <laughs> exactly, and and you just want to be able to be in a situation where I can do this for two or three minutes or two or three minute stretches at a time to yeah. try and take a team out of its flow Second or rhythm unit, or something whatever. like that. Yeah. And and right now, I think as the Timberwolves are presently constructed, it's tough for them to to deviate from what they do all the time. Right. So, right. who is your uh, who is your second guy? Uh, Fred Van Vliet. Oh, I love um, him. And and this is again, I. I I don't know. I feel the need to like explain this, but the, this is a thought exercise. This isn't like, I'm not saying I think Fred Van Lee is likely to be on the wolves, but when I think about like an ideal 
you know, type of guard to play against, play alongside DeAndre Russell. It's, I mean, Van Vliet is, is that type of player. Is he probably too good for that to happen? Yes, I, I acknowledge that. My point and why I got kind of fixated on Van Vliet is, and we were talking about Toronto a little bit, we don't have to totally go back down there, but we don't know what the next step is for Toronto. They very well, like I'm, Lowry's under contract for another year, like, Maybe, you know, maybe they do kind of, you know, try and, you know, try and run it back in some sort of capacity. But I feel like Van Vliet hits this weird spot for them where he's about to sign a four or five year deal right. for a ton of money. And, and if they give all that money to him, then it's going to be harder for them to, to do that retooling kind of around them. You're not going to be able to bring back a Gasol and a Baca, that sort of thing. And I guess my, my point is, I just think there is a number. There is a number that Van Vliet gets to on the market. Or Toronto says, I'm out. Yeah, they just, they just, I mean, he can, so he could get up to, I wrote it down somewhere here. Like his max would be, if you got a five year deal, it would be like $160 million. Or Mike Conley. Yeah, yeah, I mean, or a little bit less than that. I think it would start at like 28 million, kind of depending on where the cap is, and then escalate every year. But even like, I don't know where that line is for Toronto, but if that line is, if Masai Ujiri is like, we'll go to, 490, 495, something like that for Van Vliet. And that's our line in the sand because we feel like we can't, without that, we can't retool. And Van Vliet's out on the market and people are saying, we'll pay you 100, we'll pay you 110 over four, like 20, you know, 25 a year, 5 million more a year. Yeah. And so I just think there's a possibility that there's this, that that line in the sand is crossed if you're Toronto. And then Fred Van Vliet becomes a sign and trade option. And it's the exact same. Th- I mean, it's what happened with Kevin Durant in Golden State last year. That was a sign and trade. Jimmy Butler, sign and trade. Kemba Walker, sign and it's trade. It's way of the future. It, it's, all, it's all these guys who their teams just got to this point where we're going we're gonna to lose this guy. We're either, we either they want to go somewhere else or in the Butler case, we don't want to pay them the max. And, and the other thing that's really interesting about that is, is it's not just – okay, let's just try and recoup some value here and, and have a team, you know, throw us an expiring contract and one other guy or, yeah. or whatever. But a lot of time, like this is becoming, how can we get our next star? How can we bring in a second star next yeah. to whomever else that we have? Um, and I think that's, I mean, you look at with Jimmy Butler or you look at with, you know, Golden State, like your Brooklyn was like, all right, we have to lose D'Angelo Russell if we're going to get this guy. And mm-hmm. obviously that's a little bit of a different thing because Kevin Durant's one of the best players ever. But like, I think that you're going like, to start to see more like, teams like that, that, yeah. that start to say, all right, opportunity I, cost. Yeah. Like I, if I have to give up this as a centerpiece of a trade, but I get back a legit star that I really want to mm-hmm. build around. It's going to be interesting to see how often that gets used because I think almost every single transaction that you see for a big time player, whether it be Devin Booker, Mm-hmm. or you know yeah. whomever the next guy is that requests a trade i think eight times out of ten the, these deals are going to become sign and trade deals and if it is the timberwolves it's going to be 10 out of 10 times because 100%. they already have two max players exactly so if we want to especially this summer with beasley yes exactly so so that's you know th- now that's the whether it's fred van vliet or somebody else now that's the that's the question and you have to pose it to toronto or whoever it may be and say Okay, so Fred Van Vliet for you at four years, $100 million, let's just say that, is viewed as a negative contract, a contract you don't want, Toronto. What do we have to give you 
for you to let us have that contract on our team. And it's, it's having a different perception of the player's value. Van Vliet, they would theoretically think, had more value in Minnesota than he would in Toronto. And then you are – I know you've kind of poo-pooed the recouping value, but if I'm a Sayujiri and I say, I'm not paying Fred Van Vliet four years $100 million, given my team situation, can I get something back? And, and I think it, if it is the Wolves, it starts, with, it starts with Malik Beasley to start getting the money there, and you, you give him like a $15 million a year sort of deal – and then you are, and we've already done the whole Culver thing. You're doing Beasley and Culver, I, you know, in a, a double sign and trade. That would be, and then I don't know. I don't know how much it would. I think it would take more than that too, because Toronto is in a position where they know they have leverage. There would be other teams jockeying for the same sort of thing. Um, the Wolves. I mean, <laughs> the Wolves have three picks in the top thirty-three this year, and you know, I I think one of those firsts attached to Malik Beasley and Jarrett Culver is something you consider if you're Toronto and you no longer feel that you can yeah, have Fred Van Vliet. hundred percent. And and when I was talking about like recouping value, it wasn't the default isn't recouping value. Sure, it's that, sure. that, you know, you're going to think about other things too, but you know, if, if I'm Minnesota, I start to think, you know, okay, you know, we saw Malik Beasley play at a really, really high level in his first 15 games in Minnesota. Um, is, do I really want to give up a first-round pick that I could potentially use to bring in a player that might fit better, might play a more position of need, um, rather than going to get a guy who doesn't really move the needle for us defensively and might only marginally move the needle for us offensively because of how similar this is Beasley a, you're saying no uh, of thinking about Fred Van Vliet like okay. if you're giving up Beasley to get a guy like Fred Van Vliet who well, won't move I think the needle, I disagree with that because I think Van Vliet moves the needle a lot compared to Beasley defensively you, you don't think so I just don't think it's going to be something where you know I I'm really really confident that Fred Van Vliet is going to be a lot better than Malik Beasley on defense I, I'm I'm not there. Oh, we disagree there that, and that's fine yeah. I, I I just I want to see more of Malik Beasley play, and I think I'm more intrigued by the potential of what we could get with Malik Beasley sure. before, you know, As giving I, you that. Know, up. I, I am too. Yeah, but and yeah. I think the other thing too that you think about with Beasley is his value is higher right now than it's ever going to be, because he hasn't played a second on his new contract yet. Mm-hmm. Before that can either be deemed a positive contract or a negative contract. And you know, I I love Fran Vliet, Fred Van Vliet. I think he would be awesome in Minnesota on offense, but. If I'm looking at Minnesota and I want to bring in another, you know, borderline max player, I, I'm looking at a guy on the wing or I'm looking at a stud guard. And I just don't think that Fred Van Vliet is quite in the conversation of this dude is a stud guard. Right. And that I I'd mean, be willing to I, pay I would love for, that for too. one time. I would, would I like Devin Booker more than Fred Van Vliet? Of course. <laughs> I mean, there's a bunch of guys. But I, I guess for me – for me, and let's just put these, attaching these numbers to it, it's a four-year, $100 million contract, so $25 million a year to Van Vliet, and Beasley signs a four-year, what would it be, $64, 64 million, dollars, so it's 16 yeah. a year. Culver and the Brooklyn pick, I would do that. And it sounds like you wouldn't do that. I wouldn't say, I see, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm right on the fence. And I think when you think about Fred Van Vliet, it's a guy I would, I would love to see on the Timberwolves, but 
I just pause and think I, it's it's close to it's kind of close to being a little too too much for me. Right. I just I mean, like I don't know if Toronto does that. What I just said. I I think if I'm Toronto, you oh, know I, you have the lever. You I think, think I think Toronto, especially if especially if they lose, I don't know. I think Toronto would be wouldn't be afraid to do that at all. But also, again, like I don't, we know, don't know. I, mean, I don't know what the, the Knicks thing. are going to offer yeah. or the right. Hornets or a team like that. Well, it's just, all under the premise that they're right. <laughs> this all only starts if Toronto goes. We've decided we can't be paying up. We can't Correct. be playing Van Vliet that much. But money. I think that I mean that's the avenue that you take if you want to get a guy that's just below max money, um, and, and bring him here in a sign and trade. I think that that's a type of player that's just, and like you were saying, it's just an interesting exercise to, yeah. to think about and work out. Um, and I think that I think backcourt the, would the, be the different. The difference is, and I don't know if you and I talked about Jeremy Grant, but like you wrote about that. I'm not even saying this to like rip on you or disagree with you. It's like, I'm like, I think I'm, pers- I think everyone is less likely to get on the Timberwolves than you do. Like, like that's, Jeremy, I, that's totally fair. Like I, I, like I, like Jeremy Grant, I don't think is going to be on the Timberwolves for two reasons. One, I think it's just unlikely that he would outright decide to sign with them over somebody else and that the mid-level exception would do it. And, and maybe I'm wrong on that. Like, I don't know. I, I, mean, I agree with you on the first part, but I disagree with you on the second part because, like we say, money talks and money speaks louder than anything else to NBA So you players, don't think Jeremy opinion. Grant's deal that he signs is going to be for more than $10 million a year next year? Think about who has the money and who they would spend. You think did Sign and trade, baby. Well, I, I mean, I guess so, but I just, I just don't know what contender is coming out of the woods to, is coming out of the woods to or try. Or it's just Denver. I don't know. I, I don't think he's going to be back in Denver. I think he's just yeah. not a fit there. I just think that you know. And, but anyways, and again, my, my point is just, and I'm, I'm saying this for me is like, and this will probably. I just think if if any of these guys that start having more shine in their name than a Mason Plumlee or a Myers Leonard or a who else have we even said like low lower tier sort of guy if they're going to be making a move it's going to hurt you're going to give up a lot and it's the same thing with it, it's just like the russell deal like i think that was ultimately a good deal but like in ways that hurts you gave up that 2021 that you could use Trump to pick. go get somebody else yeah and it came it came with the baggage of you know of of taking on russell at not a great number and, and you know you got the spellman and evans and and, and some of that pushed you into the tax like I just if, if any of these things are going to happen, they're going to hurt. It, it's it's going to be no question it's about gonna it. Be, it's going to be more than we have to think, and that and that's the lens we're looking through here. If it's Fred VanVleet going somewhere else, if it wasn't Minnesota, and we're talking about San Antonio or something, maybe the price tag isn't as high. I just think if we want to have a realistic conversation about who it could be, we I'm just going to skew towards. The lower scale guys. Yeah, well, whatever, yeah whatever. and that makes perfect sense, too, because at the end of the day, we're in a small market. We're in a team that could feasibly be moved because it's been so terrible for so long. And you Old need to start. Can of worms. You need, yeah, I mean, you just need to start, like you're saying, just pushing the chips to the middle. And it's just a matter of who Turn you're going to the do. right guy. And maybe exactly. again, to your point, maybe it's just Van Vliet isn't the right guy. I, I think that was more of my thing, is, yeah. that if, is that if I'm going to bring on a third guy I, i'm gonna be a lot more picky about it if van vliet was my second guy to go with cat i'd be like hell yeah sign me up for yeah. that but but again it, it just comes down to to that and and so with van vliet the numbers there i thought were interesting so the top three guys the, the bottom two guys were a little less of 
accurate, super accurate comparisons and Darren Williams in 2016 and our old buddy, Derek Williams in 2016. Um, But the top three guys were George Hill last year, Chris Paul in 2018 Mm -hmm. and Mike Conley in 2016. And so when you average that out, it gets to be about three years for $70 million. But I think Van Vliet is going to comfortably be in the 22 to 27 range, I think. That'd be about summer. 370, though, right? Yeah. Well, it'd be, yeah. well, for, a little bit more than that. Yeah. it would be, yeah. Yeah. It would be, it would be like that. So, yeah. um, no, I, I do too. And I guess that's where I got the, the 4 100 number. And there's all these different market factors that make this all really hard for us to predict with the unknown salary cap. Not a lot of teams having cast faces clouds. Yeah. The whole I, market this year. I had the wrong number in here. So it had, <laughs> it had the, the one formula was off. So it, it was 24.4. Is what okay. that would be, and I th- and I think that's about an accurate number. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that that would that would be just about right for, for him. Um, but yeah, a, a just fun guy. I love watching Fred Van right. play. He's he's awesome. So who's your next guy? So, oh man. Um, so for my next guy, I'm sticking with the Heat. Uh, sticking with another big body that you can kind of throw at dudes. Uh, I have Jay Crowder here. And I know that Jay Crowder probably isn't the most high profile, glitzy, glamorous. This is a guy I'm going to get excited about. But like when you watch Jay Crowder play, you can just tell that he has been around the league. He's played a ton of basketball and is just very smart offensively. And it just fits. He can I mean, f- I think people, yeah, obviously, if we're looking at this through a Timberwolves lens, too, it's like, Oh yeah, a, a guy who's gonna be able to be physical defensively and shoot the ball a little bit. Like yeah, that, that's, and and that, I that's think right, there. right, and that's that's enough to get in the conversation. I think there's also a guy that's had two very different seasons. When he was in Memphis, he was pretty terrible on offense. Like his his numbers were really bad. He shot the ball really poorly. He took a lot of contested shots that weren't great weren't great looks. Um, and, and in Miami, he's just played so much more in the flow of that offense that's been so much more perimeter-centric and spaced out where, um, you know, where so guys like Duncan Robinson and Adebayo are, are stretching the defense out with their two-man game mm-hmm. and allowing, you know, bringing the defense to one side of the floor where Crowder can open up on the other side. And I think when you have a guy like D'Lo and Cat playing a two-man game on one side of the floor, Drake Crowder would be a really great, you know, weak side shooting option that you can also – slotting at the four to play against smaller teams and stay afloat defensively to really be able to be effective. Right. And I, I think, I mean, and I don't have all of his numbers in front of me right now, but like that's kind of been Crowder's MO. He's right. different spots, right. totally different production levels where it's really worked in Boston really, you know, doesn't, doesn't work. It's on and again, off again. And I think that I, I, I thought about that too, when you brought him up is just that his, would this be, would this be a place where he goes more towards the Memphis way where, you know, it's, it's a worse team, you know, is he then going to be the less productive player? Because I think what we've learned with Crowder is he fits best, like on a contender. Yeah. And, um, I don't, that shouldn't like preclude him from being able to be like solid on, on any team, but it it has, that's kind of been the case. But I, how do you, how do you think if, if they were to pursue him and sign him, is that, does that just like force their hand with a co-gear Culver needing to be then moved out? I think when I put another like defensive minded sort of player there, that was kind of, I felt like the railroad I I ran into. I don't think of as of Crowder as a defensive minded guy. I think of Crowder as more of an offensive minded guy. That's kind of just that you forget about a lot on offense 
as, as a defense that'll make you pay if you if you don't pay attention to him and just is really right, good that's at, nothing like josh yeah he's just good at like picking his spots or at least that's what that what i've seen of jay crowder maybe it's more in the bubble and again small sample size he's playing with an incredible head coach and a, and a really fun yeah. offense but but also too like the way that he plays, especially too in transition, is just like he, he's always in the right spot. He, he's just so smart and he can be an adult in the room. Yeah. And 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 again, I, I'm thinking so much too about the locker room scenario. Like the Timberwolves love James Johnson. He's been an awesome guy to have in the locker room. Sure. And like that matters, I mm-hmm. think. And and if you're trying to take a team that's been a bottom of the barrel franchise to a consistent playoff team, I think you need to f- get some type of veteran guys to stick that will be effective both on the floor and off the floor. And I think Jay Crowder is a guy that that can do that too. And it's, again, if you can get him to shoot open shots, it's, it's night and day. So in Memphis, 50, 60% of his catch and shoot opportunities were with a guy right in his face and he shot 28%. In Miami, you know, that number has gone down now to just 47%. So, I mean, that's a pretty big swing of, of your shot selection and the quality of your shots. Yeah. Exactly, the quality of your shots. And I think the reason why I wanted to compare more of Miami to Minnesota rather than Memphis to Minnesota is because Minnesota really likes to spread – or Miami likes to spread the floor out and get guys really spaced out and, and bring BAM up and, mm-hmm. and run handoff actions and high pick and rolls and step-ups and stuff to get guys going downhill to collapse the defense, to have shooters out around them. And I envision that that's more what similar like to what – Minnesota wants to do with Cat and D'Lo sure. or Beasley, you know, with step-up screens versus like Miami having Ky- or Memphis having Kyle Anderson and, and Jonas Valanciunas out there who yeah. just aren't perfect big threats at all. There. Yeah, and there's and and Crowder has played almost exclusively at the four during his time in Miami, whereas mm. in Memphis he played the three. Sure. And I think that that matters too because he's able to pick his spots a little bit better against maybe a bigger four that isn't as mobile on the perimeter and, and so stuff that's like where that. you would see him if you were to be signed probably to a, a bench role so he'd be like a bench four for the wolves correct i, I think that he would I be like that better yeah i think that you know I, I again it goes back to the ask guys to do what they're comfortable and good at doing and right. i think that with jay crowder there's a very simple sizable role that he would be he would feel comfortable doing that could he could play very well what do you think his salary numbers would look like okay so for jay crowder um the top guys i had were jr smith in 2015 uh patrick beverly in 2015 and then patrick beverly in 2019 um and then Dwayne deadman and nursan Ilyasova. um and so those if you're if you're just playing with those numbers you'd get something in between three and four years for $36 million, so about $10 million a year. I don't think he's going to get $10 million a year. Yeah, I think he'd be a below the MLE guy. Yeah, but um, but again, like a guy where his production is is like wanted at a level that is significant. So if, if your two options were Crowder at the MLE or kind of like what we were talking about before, of like two $5 million type dollar guys, whether that's a plum million other player x do you do you think it's a better use of the mle to split it up or to just invest in in one guy i think it really depends on who that one guy is yeah like if you're one guy i know well but say it's crowder no i wouldn't do i wouldn't do (laughs) that um i think that you know if if you're looking at a at a one-year mle guy i would i I would i like i I would have to think a little bit just about how you'd make your boy jeremy grant yeah jeremy (laughs) grant like i think that like he would be he would be a 
that that's I a, agree that that's a feasible one too. Where better. like he's the he, that's the type of player where you would feel comfortable giving all that Emily money to. Rather, but than, it, yeah, but you're, if you're in a position with the Timberwolves, and, and I'm sitting here, and I mean you would know a lot better than I would, but I'm sitting here assuming that Gerst is going to go get a third guy on a pretty large contract. That it's going to happen somewhere or another. That he's going to this year. No, just yeah, in general. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just well, in okay, general. Then agree. Just yeah. in general. And so because of that, I think that you need to think about this year with that in mind, unless you're signing a guy to a, to a one-year contract. Mm-hmm. And that so you're more looking for the... Splitting it up and to find yeah. two consistent contributors on a, on a lower rate that you could... Sign s- like a three-year, $15 million. Deal. Correct, like a, or like a Jake Lehman type situation. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not That's quite that. example. Yeah. yeah. Where, where you can have a guy that's going to be around for a few years that can contribute, that can you know you can depend on that you're not going to die out on the floor with right. uh, rather than throwing all your money at one guy. Just because I think you need to be smart about how you're using your money because mm-hmm. you can't just – I mean, no one's – like vets are not going to come play in Minnesota on a minimum contract. Yeah. This is not the Los Angeles Lakers. This is not the Clippers. This is not a team like that. And so because of that, you need to – you can't just sign a big MLE guy and just assume that all the, you're going to get all this yeah, the, the cont- contribution on, on minimum contracts. So, so that, that serves as a decent transition to my next guy because I think he's probably in the minimum contract bin or, or close to it, and that's Michael Carter-Williams. Um, I do view him as a, a more defensive-minded player, and, and actually yep. I, I think he's, he is very similar to Jarrett Culver, Jarrett Culver and Josh Kogi in the fact that he is – Similar to Kogi, and he is a really strong point of attack defender. I've, I feel like I, may, I, I would say probably even better than than Josh at that at, at this point. From what we saw from him in Orlando this year, and then also has some of the has some of like Culver's ability to kind of be that secondary creator that we that we were talking about. So kind of a fusion of that, which is <laughs> sounds like a way better player than a minimum contract guy. And I and you know I think Michael Carter Williams is that. But he's just been in this like minimum contract, ten day contract churn for the past few years, and I like that type of player a lot better on a minimum contract than, yeah, on, a, exactly. than on a top five rookie scale contract. Exactly, that's so, what I'm saying. So it's like yeah, six or whatever. Yeah, because Culver has like three years, twenty million left on his sort of on his deal, mm-hmm. which I wouldn't say is bad because he still could and he could improve. And that, but it's why I think Akogi is such a better asset because he's making like two and a half million this year, four million the next year. And yeah, if you just, I don't know, did I, did I already say that, that Carter Williams only shot like 29% from three? He is just no, as bad yeah, a shooter he's, as, yeah, as he's those not guys a good are shooter. too. So that, that's why, that, that's why the, the comparison works that too. But I don't mind, yeah, I don't mind that as much. If it's, this is your minimum contract guy, it's your ninth guy in your rotation and, and he's giving you something. And, and two, I mean, we haven't even really been talking about the bubble that much, but, um, and even just the end of Orlando's season, I think, I think what Carter Williams has been able to do has been. He, he's been really helpful for that for that team, and they run a scheme in Orlando extremely defensively, extremely similar to what the Wolves do with the way that they just kind of use Vucevic back at the rim and don't ask their bigs to come up in that sort of way. It's yeah. really dependent on your point of attack guard who being can able fight to, over screens exactly. and, and take and at least try and take away the mid range. And mm-hmm. I think with Carter Williams too. Um, some, I mean, he's got great size. If, if you're looking at a point of attack defender, I mean, he's only got a 6'7 wingspan, but he's 6'6", 200 pounds. And if you're playing a guy that's going to guard opposing ones, I mean, he's going to make up for, you know, some of the, <laughs> some of the you know, ineptitude that he has in the offensive end with, 
with really being able to just dig in and fight and get over screens and make life more difficult for whomever it is that has the ball that's running the show for the bench unit. I mean, and the other thing that I want to touch on too is that I think that the Timberwolves absolutely need a third point guard and need to play three point guards. And I think that you would probably tend to agree um, because if J-Mac is back, I don't think that the Timberwolves are going to ignore how well he and D'Angelo Russell played together. I don't think, again, it's not like these guys are going to play together all the time, Mm -hmm. but if you can play them together for, you know, maybe two minutes at the end of the first quarter or two minutes in the third quarter or three minutes. Even if it's not J-Mac, it doesn't matter. They're going to bring in, because J-Mac is a free agent, Right. they're going to bring in multiple point guards I agree. on the team. There's going to yep. be three point guards on the team next year. And they're and, all going to play. And they're all going to play with D'Angelo Russell. Correct. There's no, D'Angelo Russell is not just going to be like the one point And guard. I love that. Yeah, and it's just it's just the way like the NBA is moving. So to your point, yeah. you, I think all three of those players need to be competent. And mm-hmm. and if it is J-Mac and Carter Williams, one now you've like, that's super cheap. You got two minimum, close to minimum guys, probably. That one is more offensively focused, and the other is one more defensively focused. And I, so I definitely, I think it's a really cheap way to round out a position of need, and I think it would be competent. I, I yeah, and 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 going, but like you said, that Plumley would probably be the most realistic guy on here. Uh, I thought it was funny. Like I, I agreed when you when you sent me your initial list. I looked at Carter Williams and was like, "Wow, like that's not a guy who I'd think about right away." But I could absolutely see that happening. And I actually think that Carter Williams is probably the guy for me who would make the most sense, just because. I think it's just me being more caught up on the shooting and being, like, uh, similar to Akogi and Culver. Yeah, I think I think I, I think it'd be really hard for them to bring in Carter Williams and not move one of a Kogi or Culver. Yeah. I would be very on board with bringing in Carter Williams. And I think if you bring in Carter Williams, you got to get rid of Culver mm-hmm. just because I think that. I, I mean, assuming you're getting back value. I mean, maybe right, it's right, another right. one of those moves. Yeah, that we're talking about. yeah exactly. Um, I just think that's, that's like not a small bridge to jump. He's still as low as anyone wants to be on Jared Culver. It's still, one year removed from being the sixth overall pick, and like it's tough. But yeah. at the same time, I think that, too. That, that's just why I think it's less likely than Plumley, which is just kind of like a plug and play. There, that's it, fair. That holds that's there. Uh, yeah. It's just a little bit of a blockade. Yeah, I I'm, I totally understand that. We're at, yeah, that makes sense. But there's not really anything bearing on yeah bringing Plumley in. Right, that makes sense. Um, so now we're on to your fifth one. Yeah, and, and just quick on oh, Car- yeah, Carter Williams. Carter Williams. So um, Will Barton, 2018, Manu in 2017, and. Uh, then Dante Exum in 18 and then DJ Augustine in 16. I like how you skip Xavier Mumford because I don't know who that is. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, and I don't think anybody who's listening to this podcast (laughs) does either. Um, But yeah, so I had, it has Carter Williams here at three years for $24 million, just based on, I mean, that's, that's that's what I'm saying. He was producing. And it's a wide, and it's a wide, and again, I'm taking the average of these top five similarity guys. So it's not a perfectly weighted, thing but but it's based off of their production yeah and and what's most similar with just their basic you know points rebounds steals shooting percentages all that so i thought that's interesting and again if you can get that guy in a minimum contract or your biannual exception Mm -hmm. or you know half the mle a 30 year mle like do it yeah Yeah. so i really like him i i I think of him really highly as like a player and i I think some team maybe more of it and (sighs) carter williams maybe to I'm assuming a lot of people haven't been watching a lot of Orlando Magic this year, which is totally fair. But I just know that the, I, I watched him a good amount, twice in, in person right before the break when they were here. And 
and then I always like watch the team's previous, like if they're playing Orlando, I watch Orlando's previous game. So I just felt like I, I watched a ton of Orlando and I like wrote a big thing on Aaron Gordon. So I watched a lot more of them and I'm like, probably watched like five or six full magic games right before everything shut down. And Carter Williams is great. Like he, yeah. he really, he really was great. And he's totally like resurrected his career adopt, like adapting a, a role player sort of role. And I think it's just like an ideal fit on a team. And the other thing I want to point out is like, he was in Houston two years ago with Gerson like that only Gerson, played 16 games, but yeah, but I mean, yeah. they signed him, like, right? Gerson was a huge part of that decision. I mean, he's their scouting. I don't, I don't think that's something to skip over. So that was kind of no, like when I was totally saying agree. with Plumlee, you know, played with Vantapool. That's my connection. Those, con- those connections Williams. absolutely matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so for my next guy, um, I went with someone that, lot probably a lot of fans out there are not gonna like um just because they're probably more predisposed 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 (laughs) to to not love um for some of the antics that he's had in the past but i went with grayson allen of the grizzlies and so grayson allen um in my opinion if you had to put on just guy first or second team of just guys in the bubble who stood out to me he would be on my first team for that um, so just a quick overview, he's 25, 6'4", six, 6'6", six, six wingspan, 200 pounds. He was averaging eight points, two boards, one assist, um, before the shutdown and in the bubble. And, and that was in 18 minutes per game. And in the bubble now he's averaged 27 and a half minutes, 14 points on 52% shooting 53% th- from the three and 90% from from the free throw line or from the free throw line. And I get that obviously really small sample size, but he saw a huge uptick in, in how much he was on the floor because Tyus Jones has been out Mm -hmm. and they've asked him to be the main point of attack defender, uh, with that bench unit playing alongside D'Anthony Melton and, and he can do it and he can do it. Yeah. He, he was really, really great. Um, fighting over screens in the, in the pick and roll He's 83rd percentile, um, on defense in the pick and roll, which was the highest percentage of his defensive possessions at nearly 40% of the possessions that he was out there. And that's not nothing, yeah. um, especially for a guy that's not playing a ton, um, but also a guy just great base, balance, footwork, um, coming off screens and handoffs too. And he's crazy athletic. I mean, he won high school dunk contests and and held some of the you know, um, athleticism records at Duke. We've like picked Zion's like got there. Three of the like five athletic white dudes in the league. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but again, finishes well at the rim, nearly 70% in the restricted area. And, and he scores on 40, 47% of his handoff possessions where he gets the ball. And I think that's significant where, you know, if he's a guy that can, that you can kind of get in on now and, and trust that he can develop more of a handle where he can, be more dynamic with the ball in his hands and create more shots for himself with, you know, it's like a secondary creator, lock him in a room for two weeks and make him watch every single CJ McCollum highlight reel and just like get in the gym and start working on dribble moves. I think he could end up being a guy that like could be a huge positive contract in the mold of kind of what the wolves are going to think about here with trying to maximize the value with, trading for guys in the last year of their deal yeah we should say that that he does have two years left on his rookie deal so this isn't this one wouldn't be a free agent sign yeah and so the one thing i thought was interesting about grayson allen is that the team most times what you see is a team will pick up both 
years of a player. There's a lot of time it's a three plus two deal mm. for rookies for first yeah. round picks. And so we have seen the Grizzlies pick up just the first year, the 2020 year. Mm-hmm. So next year and, and not the following year, um, which, which I think is interesting. Like I, they clearly haven't used him as much as maybe they would have thought they would um, coming into it. But if, if the Timberwolves decide to try and trade for a guy like Grayson Allen this year extend, and then exercise his 2021 option and have him for two and a half million next year and 4 million the year after that, and then have him in restricted free agency. Yeah. Like I think that that could end up being a, a really big positive contract for them I, I think that also contributes a ton. And I think those are the types of decisions from more of a fan rather than an insider. I am guessing and assuming that this front office is thinking about because they did that at this trade deadline with Malik Beasley and Wancho. And sure. I think that he totally fits that. It, it's, it's a very easy. Well, I say easy because obviously no trade in the NBA is easy, but it's an easy way to end up with a positive contract or if it, or if it doesn't work out to be able to get off of it with pretty much no, no risk or no, you know, real well, thing I, that you're losing or pain right. or whatever, or what you said previously. I, I think it, it, it does go to the, and again, we're going off of past behavior, the, the things that we've seen right. already do. And that, that's what I thought of Wancho with uh, mm-hmm. when, when yeah. you brought him up and um, it, it's, it's this weird thing where you go, well, this guy's like a contributor and he's making two and a half million bucks a year next year, you know? And so that like, sounds like great. Like I want him on my team and you go, well, why would this other, why would this team not want to have that guy? Yeah. Well, it's when they, it's the teams that start having like a log jam at that position. I mean, it's what happened in Denver, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's just not, if they don't see a long term like future for a player there and they can get, something for you know for grace and allen if they can get like i mean i i, I don't know like a, a, another p i don't know if you i don't think you're getting a first round pick you know for him but if they're able to recoup some of that value or, or package it in some sort of deal to get if you're i'm thinking about from memphis's perspective like yeah what do you need to to get off of them and i don't think the answer would be that much because it till the a pandemic happened grace and allen was not viewed as much of an intriguing piece or, or no. just like in theory, he was always been like in theory, a guy who could defend and hit the three. He's never really done either of those things like in tandem, tandem Super together. consistently. Yeah. But, but I think too, when you, when you look at the way that he plays defense, it, I feel like it's, it's very translatable and it's, and it's something that he can do on a consistent basis, but He's, okay. But he, why has that, why has he never been given that opportunity? I think it's, I think it was just a matter of the fact that you had DeAnthony Melton who came in in well, that, what about Utah? Like Utah, he there was like plenty of times where they were like. It was also his rookie year. Well, two years or no? no it was no, only it was, it was, it was just year. his yeah, rookie year, okay. and I all think right, too right. that I think the main thing that they did was I I think I just was, I've never understood why he doesn't play more and any like I, I didn't get it. And there's got to be something. And I, I think that's a fair Memphis. point. That's a very yeah. fair point. Um, and I'm kind of sitting here too, saying like, why the hell is I mean, I why know. the hell is Grayson Allen not played more? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he has very he, when you watch him play, awesome in summer league last year too. Incredible shooting form, yeah. coming off screen like that is something that can be translatable to any team sure. that you play with. And I think too that obviously there's communication that goes on with with your big defender in the pick and roll or, or whomever you're you're defending the action with. But mm-hmm. like as a point of attack defender, I think that that's something that can also translate. Like at the end of the day, blowing up a pick and roll getting over a screen or getting your hands in the passing lane, that's something that happens 
everywhere or that can happen everywhere. And I think that with Grayson Allen, I looked at, you know, what, what would the Timberwolves feasibly have to give up? I think if the Timberwolves gave up Omari Spellman and their 2020 pick this year, that gets you their 2020, their, their second round pick this year. Correct. That gets you at 33. I think that, yeah, that, I think that so. could get you Grayson Allen. And I think, you know, especially if, because that they want a more pick isn't it's not bad like that it's a there's sec, a lot of it's it's a high a, second round pick that's a, and there's a lot of old players that are going to come out of the early part of the second round yeah. I think that and and you know there's no real consensus of this guy's a top second round guy and this guy's a, a late second round guy it's going to be kind of up to it's interpretation your first, you get like for, your first pick of the, the right bin. exactly and and people are all over the place on that bin so mm-hmm. you could end up getting a guy yeah. a, a really positive asset out of that bin. Um, but I think that Memphis might want to get another big shooter to play, you know, alongside Gorgie Jang and potentially move on from a guy like Kyle Anderson who doesn't offer a whole lot on the offensive end uh, in Spellman. And I think that the Timberwolves obviously need another guy that can be a point of attack defender off the bench. For sure. For um, sure. That's so. the most, I think, in, in, intriguing part of it and that he would be able to have more of the shooting chops than the, the – again, this is right. all compared to a Kogi and Culver. And if he gets hot – I mean, he's a guy that I think – you know, if he starts making a shot here or there, like he could get you 15, 20 in a random game or sure. yeah. get you 10 points a game. I don't know. What, did he have a, did he have that one game last year at Utah where he had like 47 or something? I, yeah. I, it that was, was like insane. a garbage at the, at the end. Yeah. Of the game. yeah I, I think, think was, he actually has like a 47 point game. Yeah. No, um, but, and he just, and the other night just went off. He made, he was yeah. like six or seven from three in the first half. I mean, I don't know. Shoot or shoot and you can get hot. And I think the Timberwolves don't have a guy on the bench like that right now. And Definitely it would be not. valuable. To, it would be valuable to bring in. Right. So um, my last one's kind of stupid, but again, similar to the Van Vliet, I think it's just like an interesting exercise and there is, there is a connection with Rosa's, and it's it's Chris Paul, and yes, that, that, I mean it, it, it's. I I would I would skip this, if it didn't make sense that Oklahoma City might actually consider just trading him, because if sell so high baby, I mean I, yeah, there, there's there's plenty of reason if you're Oklahoma City to say. Outside of Chris Paul and Gallinari, who's a free agent himself, sign like, trade candidate. Yeah, like it, it would make a lot of sense for Oklahoma City to go back and be bad next year, and just kind of have Shea be their guy, recoup what you can off of Chris and Paul, which sounds like for crazy to say. Yeah, because because yeah. Chris Paul is going to make set to make forty one million next year, and forty four million the year after that, Sheesh. which is like. Which makes it kind of crazy for anybody to trade for him, right? But because the number's that high, you can start thinking about him not demanding like a lot for what you would be getting. Like Chris Paul has been excellent this year, and I know he's thirty-five years old. I would vote him third in MVP this year if I had a vote. Yeah, it, it, he's I don't, thirty-five. Yeah, exactly. It's like, and and I know people are probably like, well, that well, he he just turned thirty-five, so he'll like be thirty-five in next season, and, and then the final year, you're talking like thirty-six, about to turn thirty-seven. That's old, particularly for a point guard. But Chris Paul, alongside DeAndre Russell, that wouldn't there wouldn't be an issue there, not at all. Because I mean, we've seen it with Chris Paul for the past two years in two different spots of sharing the lead ball handler duties. He is like obviously the what you think of when you think of a point guard but like he's acknowledged that it's 2020 and he played with 
he played 60% of his minutes with James Harden, who has also very much played the point for Houston. And then you look at Oklahoma City this year, and he's sharing the floor with not only Shea Gilgis and Alexander all the time, but also Dennis Schroeder a yeah. ton. He, and he's, in clutch he, time. He played He played 1,000 minutes next to Dennis Schroeder, who is totally a, a point guard. And, yep. and I mean, it, it's not just that he played next to him. Like, the number, the numbers of those units are like were ridiculous of of Chris Paul next to Shea or Chris Paul next to Dennis Schroeder. Like it would absolutely work, and I think that's maybe the first obstacle people would just need to get over is would Gerson even think about bringing in another point guard? And I think the answer to that is one hundred percent yes. Yep. Is it Chris Paul? Probably not. But I was sitting here last summer saying, "Go for it. Why the hell not?" I mean, you were alone in that. Yeah, but, but well, I because I, he was. That's the crazy. I mean, I was just loudly saying that, but I'm just sitting there saying and like having conversations with my friends. Like, what do we have to lose by bringing Chris Paul? Like, you can't sit here and just say, "Oh, we have to preserve all of our money for this, that, and the other thing." It's like, who are we going to give that money to? At, yeah, at that I, at that point in time, thinking you oh, know, not wanting to push all my chips and, and hope is, into D'Lo like coming back. But D'Lo, this is yeah, yeah. We, but we, like, wind it back all the way there. But, I mean, if they would have gone, went and got. Chris Paul from Oklahoma City last offseason. There's plenty of ways to have made sense of that where Oklahoma City did not want to have the three years of him making close to $40 million, right. more than $40 million a year and would have like moved off of him. But other teams weren't trying to bite at that because yeah. there is, I mean, they were saying the thing that is scary, which is if Chris Paul gets injured, you still got to pay him that you, 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 you go the next two years with a flat And tie. he hasn't been totally healthy the last few years. Yeah, so it, it, it's absolutely a risk, but it, it's like an interesting sort of thing of like getting out ahead of the 2021 market. It's just kind of saying, and I don't know if the Wolves front office would do that. We'd just be like, we're probably not going to be able to go out and get somebody from that awesome free agent class that's coming up. Just being like, we're going to do two years of Chris Paul. Chris Paul, Cat, and D'Lo is going to be our thing. Paul will retire after that or certainly you know not I, be back yeah i think i think that's a playoff team i just i just well it's, well, it's 100 percent yeah team. dude uh, the thunder like the <laughs> players on the team around him suck like a lot of them yes dude all the wings it, they got they got shea they got shea schroeder and adams and everyone else like all their wing guys until now robertson's back but Robert, I mean, Dort's been pretty damn good. Yeah, but dude, Dort was undrafted. That's what I'm saying. It's like Dort, it's Abdel Nader. <laughs> okay, it's, you're saying it's not like he's got legit wins. He comes with the Timberwolves. And he's as so much more talent on him, and he's yeah, that's fair. And they're arguably the like I don't know. The Thunder are the third best team in the West. The fourth best team in the West. Like maybe it. I, I, I've like, or as not, you say, the the fourth best team in the NBA, <laughs> the top five best, best team, team in the NBA. NBA. I, I just think <laughs> I don't think people have an idea of how good this Thunder team is, given how oh, little I, I love them. Yeah, I'm, but I just yeah, it's, they're the Thunder. They play in Oklahoma City. Like that is not out there, and it is so because of it's so because of Chris Paul and and what he's been able to do with with that group and playing the. The, the SGA, when he's playing with Gilgis Alexander and Schroeder, that team has a 127 offensive rating, 99 defensive <laughs> rating. That's a plus 28.6. I mean, that's just like, and that's not a small amount of minutes. Like, no. they, that is their closing lineup. It's like the most dominant it's lineup the, in basketball. It's, yeah. It's, and you're surrounded by, like, Nerlens Noel and whoever. Like, it, it's not. he And Stephen Chris Adams is, is still, your anchor. Yes, Chris Paul is still such a needle mover as far as improving your team 
wildly. Like I think he's the best pick and roll point guard in the NBA, and he's yeah. 35. And now, which we haven't touched on at all, is you got to <laughs> you got to send out a lot of money. Your your team takes yeah. on a, a completely different shape, and this one isn't. It's not even. It's just. It's pretty simple. The only really way to get there is to do the sign and trade Johnson with and Beasley and Johnson. and Johnson. And now you're at 32 million to ma- get up to his number to match. You got to send out like 33 and a half. Yep. So so you go. You go Johnson, Beasley, um, another like say Spellman or whatever. That's the, the two million, something like that. And then, and then I think you got it. You would need to give. I think you need to give Oklahoma City a first. Yeah, yeah, I think. I mean, if you gave, if you if you could get away with giving them the sixteenth pick, and if that worked, would you do the top pick? Would you do say it's three? Yes. Yeah. I I would I would do it. Because think about it, you're giving up Malik Beasley, who would be a net neutral asset at that point. Because we like we Beasley, but play well, not even, I'm not even saying that he's signing a new contract and he's not going to like. Is it? You know what I'm we saying? We won't like, know if it's good or bad. That's that was my point. Yeah, but I think it's pretty unlikely. Like when you become a free agent, your market value is neutral, right? You Correct. get paid what you're yes. worth. Yeah. So it's not like that's a positive asset. We know James Johnson. As great of a dude as he is, he's 33 years old, making 16 million dollars next year. Like also an expiring contract for yeah. them to go try and swoop up whomever wants out next year. And it's just possible that Oklahoma, again that Oklahoma City, not even possible, bordering on probable that they try and shake things up and and I, yeah. go and go back. It would be so easy for them to be the worst team in the West next year. And, and think about well, think about what Presti was doing. You think Presti was coming into this season being like, hell yeah, we're going to go be the four seed in the West this no. year. No. They thought they were going to be like the 15th seed. He was ready to mail it yeah. in. and Or at least seemed like it. Well, yeah. yeah, but he's also a guy who knows when it's time to cut loose and get the highest return that he feels he can get on an asset well, that and, he has. And, and that, somebody that would, would be this summer for high Paul. if they thought you were going to get like the third overall pick for Chris Paul a year ago. Oh yeah, I mean because people were that, saying, that contract was viewed so negatively, and and maybe and, and maybe not necessarily wrongly so. Yeah, because I mean we didn't think Chris Paul was going to come out here and have an MVP conversation level year, no. but I mean I don't know. I think too that one other aspect of this. I know I've touched on it. I'm being annoying about it. Like and and you texted me about it. Like Chris Paul, in your words, would ruined cat (laughs) yeah like he would he would light him up and i think that i think it would be a different style of leadership than jimmy butler brings sure about that though i'm pretty sure about it just the reason why i'm sure about it is because you look at chris paul and like he has more of a track record of playing with younger guys and trying to help get more out of younger guys in the sense that he just played with SGA. He made SGA look so much better than what anybody thought SGA could have looked like. He's made all of these terrible terrible wings, young wings, look like competent players. He makes Abdel Nader look like a good spot-up shooter that is like a competent offensive player. And nobody thought that. Like He was almost out of the league before this last year. He did – like. The, the way that he makes other people around him so much better is different than Jimmy Butler because you're like, yeah, Jimmy Butler makes up for people on the defensive end of the floor, but like Chris Paul makes players so much better on both ends of the floor. And it's right. so evident when you watch, he just gives people more confidence. And I don't think Jimmy Butler necessarily is the type of dude, unless you're a Tyler hero 
and Miami that Beach that like makes everybody around him feel so much more confident. You don't? Does that make yeah. sense? No, no, I know. I, yeah, where he, where Jimmy, it might be like it might be just a particular player, like a Bam or a Tyler Hero. Whereas with Chris Paul, it's a whole team, an entire organization. And I think that if you brought that and you let Chris Paul go buddy buddy with D'Angelo Russell and D'Lo going into his age 26 season after Chris Paul like becomes a free agent and walks or whatever or retires, that could be really helpful. And if you're talking about the whole timeline thing, I don't think the Wolves are going to be a real super competitive team for at least two years because they've got to figure out what they're going to do around Cat and D'Lo. So I think there's but, two big flies in the ointment. Um, one, Cat... Is Cat going to be cool not being the best player on the team? I think that's a serious issue. And then pause. That's fair. For two, does it make sense to freaking Thibodeau it and say, let's see how good we can be these next two years. Go get Chris Paul. I mean, it's the exact thing so many of us have railed against Tibbs doing with Teague and Gibson and, and how that all went down there. I mean, it would be somewhat similar to that. I'm just putting light on the other side of the totally get it the thing there I, I, those are those would be issues those yeah, would be issues cat would need to be cat part of the reason why shay has been like so he's like i want to learn everything chris paul has to tell me and that not everybody has that i, I mean i don't know we don't know with cat but that has that isn't his mo yeah i i also don't know if chris paul's like a f you this is my show and you're going to have no input in this and I need to be the guy 100% of the time and I'm not See, sharing the limelight with anybody. I think that is what it is. I mean, I think that's Chris Paul. Like, yes, he understands he needs other teammates, but I don't think I don't think whatever team Chris Paul is going to go to, I mean, particularly if it's the freaking Timberwolves. I, don't I mean, think do you think that's like, how it was in Houston? Yeah. Or maybe that's why it yeah, fell apart. Yeah, I do. Like, like, yeah, and I think that's... You know, I, I love I love Chris Paul, and I know actually most Timberwolves fans hate him because of the whole Jersey thing, which whatever. That was I, funny I mean, as hell. But. Yeah, it's I don't know. I mean, it, it's it it highlights a, a bigger issue of like, do you are you willing to like invest in somebody that's that level good? Like I don't know. You you said he's an MVP candidate. Maybe he's for sure an all all NBA guy. Like I think most people, he's probably gonna be like second team all NBA. Like he's was legit that that good this year and that is so much better than cat is or has ever been to the up to this point is Kurt cat might get to that level but but he he's never he's never he been should. that <laughs> it, he should I and I I hope so but it's just it's just it's kind of an interesting hypothetical Chris if, if it's somebody else like again we talked about Devin Booker before like is it weird if in two years they trade for Devin Booker and Devin Booker's like for sure better than cat like how does that work you know, I, I mean, think the, he already is. That, I think he already is better than Cat. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say. I think he he probably is too. And or I mean, it's I don't know. It, it's at least close. I just think that's like a a looming sort of like bridge to cross in the path to the Wolves actually think, being good. Yeah, and I think again, it's a fair conversation to ask. Like, what are the convert? I don't know what the I don't know what the rules are as it comes to like if you're Chris Paul and I'm the Timberwolves saying like, all right, we have a deal in place to to get you, but I want to get you on the phone and talk to you first and say like, this well, is the, there's you, for sure rules against that, but that would for sure happen. But through the grapevine, you know what yeah. I mean? We're saying like, just, you need yeah. to know that like this for this to work, 
that Minnesota is Carl's organization. And yeah, I think gonna, Paul would say, fuck that. Yeah, and, and he very well could do that. But at the same time, I think Chris needs to understand, and, and if you're going to do it, that you would need to get a version of Chris Paul that is willing to like show Cat how to be the number one guy. And you and and the thing is, is like, yeah. can you get enough? It mutual- just sucks because this is my idea. Now I'm just going against. It. Like, like, can you get I mean, enough? That's what mutual- Jimmy did. That's can what I'm saying. That, that was the whole Jimmy buy-in. Butler thing. Like, that was the whole Jimmy Butler thing. That was the exact. I, this is the exact same thing. There's, I think it would be different. Not a more, I, I mean, it's, I, I I'm probably a fool, but just, I think it would be. I different. just feel like I'm now over here <laughs> playing devil's advocate, but we're being naive if we can't see. The parallels between the Chris, oh yeah Chris they're, they're there Paul. and like, i think sure. i'm just trying to be optimistic about it just because that's yeah, more of my the pessimistic one sucks. <laughs> i no, i know and i i i've i've done my i've i've gone on the battlefield and told people <laughs> to get off your case about being more of a realist about it but i think that i i just think that with chris paul like even if the relationship between cat and I, I have a feeling that Cat would end up appreciating his time with Chris Paul a lot more than he would with Jimmy because it would make it couldn't the whole, be worse. It would exactly yeah. <laughs> there like go, an, everybody there around, go. I think everybody yeah. around would be made better by Chris Paul, whereas Jimmy's really the only guy. Like Jimmy's not making everybody around him better. And I, I'm I'm more pointing to the Cat part of the issue here than I. And that's fair. That's Paul, totally Paul fair. Part of it. I, I just think that's hard. I mean, I think yeah. that, that's it's fair. It's I think it's fair for Cat to think he wants to be the best player on his team. I think that's fair for him to think. I, like, I, I totally agree. I mean, he averaged 28 and 12. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's hard to average 28 and 12 and not be the guy. <laughs> exactly. No, no, totally. Yeah. So it's, I don't know. I, I just wanted to, I want, I saved it to, after an hour into the podcast of wanting to put it in there because I, I'm not saying it's, it's not as likely as a, some guy signing. But it's for the, the most interesting conversation it out is, of all. And it is, I mean, and it's, I mean, we, you could go further with it, but it, I don't think it's like out of the question. I, I really don't because cause I think Chris Paul can move this year. And I think the Wolves front office will would consider any sort of stud player. And as of like, what is they August 10th, 2020, Chris Paul is like 100% a star player mm-hmm. in, in this league. So, and it, yeah, it goes and back the Gerson connection. Yeah. And it, and it goes back to what I was saying about Fred Van Vliet. Like, Chris Paul is a stud and I like Fred Van Vliet is just not in that conversation. And if you're going to dump all that money into it, like you've got to have a stud and Chris Paul would make everybody around him better. And he would have an out two years from. Yeah. And and then one year out, it becomes an expiring contract. If one team that's like, we need one more piece. If you you went into it, it's a period for the whole two. Uh, Especially if you give up the third pick, if you give up the 16th pick, I feel like you can talk yourself off the ledge, but but yeah. yeah, we've been going for a long time. Thanks for doing this, Jack. I think it was somehow there's always a way to like squint hard and find a way to <laughs> turn things into relevant Timberwolves um, content. But we'll, I don't know if we'll do this uh, again before the season starts, but I appreciate you doing both of these. And again, if you like this and haven't listened to the pod, Jack and I did just kind of uh, talking about uh, just Devin Booker and, and the idea of it and how that would fit with cats. Uh, and 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 D'Lo, uh, we we did that. Uh, I think it was two episodes ago on the podcast. So you can check it out. It's equally long and equally probably not going to happen. <laughs> but uh, but, but yeah, a fun conversation on the last man. Yes, I appreciate yes, exactly. it. Exactly. And and Jack is writing at uh, canasupas.com. Check out all the stuff there. He's at uh, 
on Twitter at JRBarman13, right? That's correct. Um, give him a follow there. And until next time, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.